Our passage is 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. That's page 1081 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, it should be a Red Pew Bible that looks like this. Somewhere nearby if you want to hunt one of those up and turn to page 1081. Again, that is 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. We'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. may be seated. Thank you, Lydia. Again, a reminder for kids this morning. These are some forms. There's two different kinds over on the table over here, but it's just a great way to help you follow along uh, with the sermon. Uh, We love to have kids in worship with us. And we want to help you be able to listen and dial in. So, great little resource over there if you want to go grab one of those. So, let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Father, we still and quiet our hearts before you now. And we would ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts that you would come and meet us in the exact place that we need you this morning. Some of us come with heavy hearts. Some of us come walking through a really challenging season in life. Some of us come with broken hearts. Some of us come, some of us come with cold hearts, indifference. Lord, all over the place, so many things that cause us to fear and to shrink back from you. Um, Lord, would you come and meet us with the hope of the gospel this morning, that we would see Jesus, that we would be changed, that we would be moved to worship, that we would be set free. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So kids, I'm going to start us with a question this morning. Have you ever walked through a really hard season in life or circumstance in life or maybe had something happen to you that was really, really challenging in life and you think, why is this happening to me? 
Have you ever had that experience? Uh, we're in our, I want you to get that in your mind, get in touch with that. Adults, I'd invite you to as well as we walk through our sermon today because we're talking about, as we're walking through the book of 1 Peter, we're seeing over and over and over this theme of suffering. It, it just keeps coming up. It's something that really saturates the whole book of 1 Peter. And we have talked about how this is a challenging thing for us to get our hands around, particularly for those of us who live in the culture that we do. Because we live in a culture that really doesn't know what to do with suffering. Mark Sayers says that in our culture, that the meaning of life is three things. This is what we're constantly breathing in in our culture. That the meaning in life is to have good experiences, good stuff, and good feelings. And we're constantly inundated by this, this siren call of the world saying, this is what life is for. Live for this. Have good feelings, good experiences. And we find ourselves often chasing those things. And because our culture tends to see that as the meaning of life, suffering is the ultimate threat to that. Because suffering is the loss of those things. It threatens that. It's, it's, suffering is, is pain. It's difficulty. And in our culture, we want to avoid that at all costs. We want to distract ourselves. That's one of the big things that we learn from our culture today is distraction. And we're constantly finding these opportunities to be distracted from even things like boredom. I just think when, it, when I feel something negative, whether it be boredom or anything, what do I immediately do? I pull out my little eye precious and just drift away, right? Just a little, I need a little escape. I need a little distraction. And so in our culture, we don't have the resources to make sense out of suffering. But here's the reality. Suffering is a reality. It, it is a unavoidable part of life. And no matter how obsessed in our culture we get about anti-aging and health and wealth and all of these things, suffering is going to be inevitable in the life. Now, now, here's one of the things that happens as we think about the church. That spirit of the world, that wisdom of the culture, of what we should be living for, it tends to come into the church. It has affected the American church, where we tend to think that the gospel means, you know, Jesus, he suffered and he died so that we'll never have to. That's that, that God's job in our life is to bless our life. And so if things are not going well, if you're suffering... If you're walking through hard things, it's incredibly disruptive for us in the American church because it doesn't make sense to us. We think whenever adversity comes into our life, wait a minute, did I do something wrong? Did I not get it right? Am I being punished for something? Because, you know, the thinking is, if I was really pleasing to God, then my life would go well. So we can't make sense of it. And what... First, Peter is helping us to do is to understand a whole different perspective on suffering, that God has purposes for our suffering and in the world to bring life through suffering. Here's what we're going to see in our passage. The suffering of Jesus redefines the way we see suffering in our lives. It gives us a whole new lens, a whole new perspective on the things that we're enduring and walking through in our life. So let's jump into our passage here. Again, we're at chapter 4, verse 1. And follow along with me here in what he says. So he starts out 
Again, he's been talking about suffering throughout the whole book. And he starts out by saying, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body. Now that is something that he's been talking about throughout the whole book. He's been talking about the suffering of Jesus. And he's been bouncing back and forth between calling us to, to meditate on the suffering of Jesus for us. All that he endured, his persecution, his insults, his even coming into this world, taking on the brokenness of this world, the, the, uh, the injustice of this world. He wants us to look at it. He wants us to see all that Jesus did in his work. And it's summed up by Jesus suffered in his body for us. It's really a summary of the gospel that Christ came to suffer for us because that is what it took to rescue us. There was no other way. The way that, that God was going to overcome the sin and brokenness of this world is through enduring it himself and passing through death into life on the other side. And that is what Christ has come to do. Has come to do. And so Peter is saying, because he has suffered for us, look at the gospel. Let it begin to shape and become the lens for all of our life. Look at what he says next. Arm yourself with the same attitude. Now the word for arm there is kind of a, it's taken from the military world in, in ancient uh, Greek. It's of putting your armor on. Now we're, we're in a battle. We don't often think that. But we're in a spiritual battle. And we need armor for battle. And he says your armor is to put on the mindset of the gospel. That Christ has suffered for us. And that suffering becomes a way that we understand how God brings life. That's what it means for the gospel to be the lens for our life. It begins to change how we look at adversity in our life. And Peter says, arm yourselves with this, this mentality of understanding. He has called us into suffering. And it's through suffering that he will bring about transformation in life. So arm yourself with the same attitude because, get in verse 1, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now who's he referring to here? Now Peter again is connecting these two things, the suffering of Jesus and our suffering. For Peter, they're inseparably connected. And so whoever suffers in the body, he's referring to those of us who are in union with Christ. And the suffering that we endure in this life. Now let me just pause for a minute. I know that whenever I say suffering, it's easy to think, I don't know that I suffer. Because I think we naturally think, you know, suffering is like those big things, you know. That's maybe losing someone in your life or going through something traumatic in your life. Or, or it's got to be big things or being overtly persecuted because of your faith in Christ. Now, those certainly constitute suffering, no doubt. And in fact, most believers around the world are enduring those very things right now. But the thing that I want us to know is that it doesn't just include the really big, hard suffering that we would imagine. That it includes everything that we're walking through in our life with and through Jesus. So if you're a follower of Christ... Every hardship that you endure, every infliction that comes because we live in a broken world, because things are not the way that they're supposed to be, all of that, if you're a follower of Jesus, is a sharing in his sufferings. You know, certainly Jesus suffered persecution. He suffered 
insult. He had suffered pain and ultimately crucifixion. But he also suffered just living in this world. Knowing death. Knowing brokenness. Knowing all the ways that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. So as we talk about suffering, I don't want you to think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I don't know anything about this. You do. You do. I want you to see that the very things you're walking through in your life right now, the hard things, the challenges, the struggles, internal or external, broken relationships, even things inside of you that tend to have just a control over you, all of that includes suffering. And it falls under what he is talking about here. Okay, so he says, Because whoever suffers in the body, that is, those who are in union with Christ, and the suffering that we endure in the Christian life, whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. Now, immediately that ought to bring a question. Wait a minute, done with sin. Peter, what do you mean here? He does not mean that when you become a Christian, you no longer sin. Now, I hope you know that's true. I certainly do. You know, that would be a contradiction of the entire Scripture, the entire New Testament. We learn over and over and over, when we are united to Christ, when we are saved, it doesn't mean we are no longer sinners. It just means we are now justified sinners, forgiven sinners. And what a paradox that is. The, the sinful nature remains in our life until the day that we meet Jesus. So if you're struggling with sin and you're like, wait a minute, maybe this hadn't taken, maybe this isn't real, maybe I'm not a real Christian because of these things that I struggle in my life. Well, like, if you're struggling, it's evidence you are in Christ. Because those who are not in Christ, those who don't have the Spirit, don't struggle. <laughs> they just go for it, right? So sometimes struggle can be maybe an affirmation. Maybe Christ is living in me. So what does he mean by this? That when we're in union with Christ, we're done with sin. He means that we no longer live for sin, but rather we live for God. And he explains it in the next verse. Look at verse 2. Explains what he means by done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. This is a description of what it means to be a Christian. When someone comes to Christ, there is a fundamental change in the direction of your life. That you go from someone who lives to fulfill and gratify your own desires to now being one who lives for the will of God. That is what it means to come to Christ. It's a change in the direction of your life. That's what he means by done with sin. Now here he begins to talk about their own reality and that break that has happened in their life. Now remember, they, uh, the audience that Peter's writing to, were all Gentiles. They were coming out of paganism and all of its idol worship in the Roman Empire. And he reminds them, you, you remember your former life? You remember all of that? You remember you... Walked away from that. And now you live for God. Look at what he says. Verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. This was your life. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. All of those things were things that were associated with idol worship in the Roman Empire. I mean, it was a part of religion 
in the Roman Empire. That if you served the gods, if you served the idols, a part of that was indulgence. A part of how you worshipped were these parties of indulgence. That was how you stirred up the idols. Now that might seem odd to us. It shouldn't because we see it in our world today. But really, what is an idol? It's a man-made God. It's some created thing that we make ultimate in our life in order to provide for us what only God can provide for. It's a God substitute. So indulgence just goes hand in hand with idolatry because it's a way of serving yourself. It's a way of making your life work, of gratifying yourself apart from God. Now really, this is kind of a description of our culture today. And he says... You no longer live for that. You, you've, you have had a fundamental change from living for your desires, just to gratify your desires, to now living for the will of God. So the question is, what is the will of God? What do we now live for? And that's what he talks about in verse 7 and below. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. What's he saying here? The will of God, this new direction for us, is to live a life of love of one another in the body of Christ. That's where Peter goes here. It might be a shocker to us. Wait a minute. That's God's will? God's will is that I be a part of the body of Christ and I love deeply? That I'm diving deeper and deeper into love in the body of Christ. Knowing one another. Opening my life. Look at what he says uh, in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What's hospitality? Is to open your heart and your life to one another in the body of Christ. This is a big one. You know, we, I don't think we would have probably thought, you know, what's the will of God? Well, it's probably hospitality. It's just not... In our privatized culture, we don't think about that. We don't want people in our house, right? Because if they come in my house, they're going to see my mess. And anytime I try to have somebody else over, it's the biggest anxiety freak out in the world because everything's got to be perfect because I don't want them to know how I really live. It's kind of a metaphor of how we work relationally with each other, right? I'm only going to let you in if everything's put together. Then you can come in and know me. That's not knowing each other. Hospitality is not the same as entertaining. It's not the same as your house looking like a magazine. It is opening your real life to one another in the body of Christ and saying, come on in. And that's scary, but I want you to come in and know me. I don't even think we think much about hospitality. I don't know how much we're practicing this. We are in some ways, but this is a calling to say, go all in. You know, whenever H and I got the opportunity to go to that mission trip to Uzbekistan, we were stunned by the hospitality of that culture. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It, was, it called me out because I'm one of those guys who likes to be real private. Like, don't come up in my business, right? We're called to open our lives to one another. Now, look what he says next. Verse 10. He calls on us to use the gifts he's given us to build up the body of Christ. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do, what, do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised. You see, God's will is that he gets glory through the way that we live as a body together. This is not an add-on to the, to the Christian life. This is at the heart of God's call for us. That we would live as the body of Christ. That you would know whatever gifts he's given to you. And believe it or not, you have spiritual gifts if you're in Christ. You don't have to say, I think I got left out in the distribution. No, you didn't. You might not know what they are. So maybe a starting point is to say, I need to figure out what gifts have you given to me. But our calling is to use our gifts to build one another up in the body of Christ. That's God's will. So when we come to Christ, you go from living for yourself to living for God. And what does living for God mean? It means living a life of love, especially towards one another in the body of Christ. That is this fundamental shift that he wants to see. That is what it means to come to Christ. Now, I think it's important to just hone in on this for a minute. Because in the Bible Belt, I think we have really distorted what it means to be saved, to be converted, to come to Christ. I think so often we tend to think it's about believing certain facts or things in your head or doing something like praying a prayer or walking an aisle or making a decision. Now, those can certainly be a part of coming to Christ, but it's been reduced to that in the Bible Belt. And so many people think the only thing you got to do to be saved is just to believe these things and pray this thing, then you're good. And what we see as we come to Scripture is that no. No, it's about being united to Jesus. It's relationship with Him. It's about Jesus becoming not just your Savior, but also your Lord. Now you see how suffering plays into this. Suffering. Embracing suffering in your life for the sake of Christ, is like the evidence that has happened. You see, when I suffer, when I embrace suffering in my life for Jesus, it is like the evidence I'm not living for myself anymore. Because when I'm living for myself, suffering is the biggest thing you got to avoid. Right? If I'm living to gratify myself, suffering is a threat. But if I'm living for God, suffering is an opportunity. It's a huge kind of shift that happens. You know, again, it, it is so easy in the American church to think Jesus died and he suffered so that I don't have to. And so coming to Jesus means, now many people wouldn't articulate it this way, but we just breathe it in and believe it deeply. If I'm coming to Christ, he's going to bless my life. And by blessing, we mean stuff and things going well and health. In prosperity. You know, the prosperity gospel is alive and well, I think, in all of our hearts. Let's be honest. But you see, that's not the gospel. Do you know what Jesus taught? You know, he was always to his disciples talking about, hey guys, the disciples didn't get it either. Hey guys, you know why I've come? I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over by our people. 
I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be insulted. And then I'm going to die on a cross. And the disciples are like, what is this guy talking about? You know, they're just like blocking it out. And then finally Peter's like, no, 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 no. That can't happen to you. You're the king. You're the king of the world. You're going to fix the whole world. And what did Peter, uh, what did Jesus say to him? Peter, thank you for snapping me out of this. No. He said, get behind me, Satan. That lie, where's that from? Satan. (laughs) Satan wants us to think, Jesus came to make your life work. That's from Satan. You know what Jesus said right after that? He said, guys, if you want to be my disciples, here's what it means. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. Which cross for them, they knew what cross was. It was the Roman instrument of execution. It's like him saying, you've got to take up your electric chair if you're going to follow me. That's what it's all about. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me into suffering. You're following me. This is my path. This is how I get to life. This is how I save the whole world. Resurrection is coming. Jesus came to bring about resurrection. That's the goal. You know what Jesus knew and what we got to see? The only way resurrection comes is through crucifixion. That's how it works. That's how God works in the world. That's how he works in our life. You want to be free? You got to surrender. The only way to truly be free is to come under the control of God. You know, it's about giving your life up to Jesus. Right after that, he says, if anybody wants to save their life, they're going to lose it. But if anybody loses their life to me, they'll find it. That's this paradox. You know, if you want to retain control of your life, Jesus says, well, you can do that right now. You can live with this sense of control over your own life. But eventually, you're going to lose it. But if you lose control of your life to me, you're going to actually find life. When, when Jesus becomes your master, you actually find freedom. You find what we were always created to be. And that is to live under the good, life-giving rule of God. But it's so hard, right? Gosh, surrender is the hardest thing. Because we're afraid. We're afraid if I lose control, then my life will fall apart. If I lose control, I won't be happy. If I lose control, all these scary things are in my future. And Jesus says, oh, lose control. You can trust me. You will find life. And yeah, you know what? That's going to involve suffering. You're going to walk through these things, but I'm going to be with you. And here's my promise. Through that suffering, I'm going to bring life. I'm going to bring glory. We see this in in people's lives. Who, Who are the people that are just the most deep? Who are the people you go to when when you're struggling? Who are the people you go to when you need advice? Who are the people who are just have a density to them, who have a weight to them? Are they not the people who have suffered? And who are the people you're like, well, I wouldn't ask them for anything. I wouldn't go to them for for advice. No, I'm not really, I don't think they have much to offer. There's those people who haven't suffered. You see how it works? Suffering is God's instrument to bring Life and growth and resurrection into our life. Let me just give a practical example and then we'll apply it and come to the table. 
you know, I, I talk about suffering. Don't get the idea that I like it or I've at all figured this out. But just an example about how this mindset, the mindset of, suffer, of the suffering of Christ and what I'm called to, how it can really change things. So a couple weeks ago, Ashley went out of town and, you know, I've got all the kids and it's Wednesday night and I get everybody to bed, you know, including my youngest daughter. That feels like winning the Super Bowl. When you actually get her fed, dressed, and in bed, I'm like, oh, I am man, you know. <laughs> and everything's good. I'm going to bed. I'm like, hey, we're going to make it. We're going to make it while mama's away. About 2.30 at night, I hear screaming. I stumble up, you know, I come in, there's puke all over the bed. And I'm just like, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death in this moment. <laughs> there, I don't know about you, there is no darkness like that on earth than a sick kid in the middle of the night. And listen, I am selfish. I idolize sleep. I don't know what to do. Like, mama ain't there. Like, she handles this. What do I do? Right? And so, where, you know where I typically go in those times? Where things feel like, circumstantially, they're falling apart. And where I don't know what to do. And all I can just see is darkness. You know where I go? God, where are you? You don't love me. I mean, I'm not, I don't have the courage to actually say that out loud. It's what my heart's believing. I'm feeling abandoned by God. I'm thinking in my heart, God, why would you let this happen to me? And, you know, usually I pray in that time. I'm like, God, okay, I'm going to get this cleaned up. But... God, can you let her not throw up again throughout the night? Help us to all go back to sleep. And we should pray that. That's a good prayer. He didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> she threw up every hour on the hour throughout the night. And I'm laying there in bed, one hand. She's in my bed. I got one hand on the bucket. She's laying next to me. That's how I did that night, you know. But here's one thing that changed. And that night, I, maybe it's because we're going through First Peter. I said, all right, wait a minute, wait a minute. You love me. I'm your child. And you have called us to walk through suffering. And you have not promised that if we belong to you, we're going to be immune from the suffering of this world. Like, every parent does this. I'm not the only parent to live through that, right? Probably every mom in here is like, oh, you got to experience that once? That's great. I've done it a hundred times, right? You see, it's common. In that moment in your suffering, you can think, I, this is, I'm the only one. But like, wait, so your goal is not to prevent suffering in my life, but it's rather to be with me in suffering and to use it to your glory. So this doesn't mean you've abandoned me. In fact, you're here. You want to be my comfort in this. You want to walk with me and you want to use this in me. Maybe I can praise you in this. Maybe it's going to deepen me as a person. Maybe it's going to kill a little bit of that selfishness in me. All that stuff's going on. What was happening in that moment? I, I was arming myself with the mentality, Christ suffered in his body for me. And he is my king and I'm following him in life. It changes everything. I was actually able to have joy a little bit. It changed everything. So the question for you is, what would it look like in all those areas of your life if you began to arm yourself with this mindset? 
if the suffering of Jesus became the lens through which you evaluated every circumstance in your life, right? Neighbors going crazy on you. Uh, a boss that's just impossible. A relationship, even a marriage that feels so painful and so loveless and so broken. A struggle in your life that you just can't seem to overcome. You know, uh, the feeling of being at school and being excluded from the crowd. How would all of those things change if we began to arm ourselves with the mindset of the gospel? That Christ suffered in his body. The only one who has deserved to never have suffered. He didn't deserve a bit of it. But he chose it for you and for me. He embraced it. He walked through it. He took all of it upon himself so that I might know resurrection life. And when that is hitting our heart and penetrating our hearts, it moves us to say, I want to follow you. I want to know, as Paul says, the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. That's the Christian life. And there is an intimacy in Jesus that you can experience when you're suffering that you cannot when everything's going well. What would it look like to take this into the everyday realities of your life? To arm yourself with the cross. Well, we get to come to the table this morning. And it's portraying for us the king who suffered for us. We're, we're eating. We're eating of the king who suffered. The one who never should have, but yet chose to for us. We come to this table and we feed upon him. And we are renewed in him. And we are changed by this encounter with him. This isn't just a ritual. This is not just something we do. This is an encounter with the spirit of Jesus. Where he comes to take the gospel and deepen it into our hearts. That it would come to shape us more and more and more. That it would come to set us free. That it would come to remove all the guilt and shame that we have in our life. We come to the table to encounter Jesus. So each time as we come, we begin with a prayer of confession. Because we, before we come to receive grace, we repent. You know, repentance is like the cross. And then receiving the forgiveness of the gospel is like resurrection. It's like a little mini walking of Jesus. Right? When I repent, I die. I die to sin. I die to all those things that my flesh wants to run after. I'm dying to it. I'm confessing it. I'm releasing it to you. And then in embracing the gospel, I'm rising in resurrection. So what happens in repentance and faith. So we do that through a prayer of confession. And then we'll get to come to the table and experience resurrection. Father, we confess to you that we have sinned, that we are sinners, and that apart from your mercy and grace, we've got no business at this table. But we, at the same time, receive and rest and trust alone in the finished work of Jesus. Father, there is no understanding that we have. There is no other pardon that we have. There is no other commendation that we have before your presence than the work of our Savior alone. And so, Father, we repent and release all of our sin to you, and we ask you to wash us with the blood of Jesus and through your Spirit to change our hearts that we would willingly obey you in all of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.